Two screen time. Football's on NBC. Football talk is on Peacock. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here with you for the next hour. Really for a half hour because the second half hour of the program, as it typically is on Wednesdays, football pod in America this week. Liam McHugh from quarantine in his attic. He tested positive last week. I'm not disclosing anything. He admits it himself. Tony Dungy, who has not tested positive. Rodney Harrison, who has not tested positive, joins me for that conversation. But again, it's Shereen and me for the first half hour. And I say good afternoon, Shereen. How are you? I am good, Mike. What is it? Test negative, stay positive. So that's what we're trying to do today, right? Another day. That's right. That's right. Another day of test negative, stay positive. Absolutely. As we continue to work through one of the strangest years of all time, as exemplified by the fact that there's a football game going on at 5 p.m. Eastern on a Wednesday (laughs) afternoon. Steelers, Ravens, Ravens driving, Steelers up 12-7. The first half is coming to a conclusion. Stephon Tuitt. Providing some bulletin board material that the Ravens probably won't see unless they check their phones at halftime on Instagram. Good luck to the boys today. Pad the stats. Should be an easy one. Eyeing my return for next week against Washington, where I should catch up. I say it because I believe it. Hashtag do it to it. Again, to it. Not playing today because he's on the COVID-19 reserve list. Steelers not padding the stats yet. A lot of drop passes in the red zone for the Pittsburgh Steelers, allowing the Ravens the opportunity to hang around. And if you let a team hang around long enough, you know what happens, Shereen. They're going to come back and they're going to make you pay for it. Absolutely, Mike. And I'm the one who said the Steelers are going to blow them out. And they haven't done that so far. It's been a competitive game. And maybe, you know, not having played a game in a while is affecting the Steelers. I don't know. But I expected them to come out and be angry and really take it, take it to the Ravens right off the bat. And they really haven't done that. And, of course, the game ultimately was delayed six full days because of the COVID-19 outbreak with the Baltimore Ravens that began 13 days ago when a strength and conditioning coach tested positive. And then it eventually became known to the team that he had been concealing symptoms, reportedly, allegedly, whatever, hadn't been wearing a mask. And you're the pinch point there for a lot of potential exposures. And that's what happened to the Baltimore Ravens. Today, earlier this afternoon, there was a conference call involving the commissioner and others from the league office, including Chief Medical Officer David, not David Sills, Alan Sills. David Sills, wait, wait, Crosby Alan. Stills, not, what, Alan, Alan Sills. This is David Stills. Is it David Stills? I don't know. Alan Sills. That was a long way to acknowledge the fact that I screwed up the name. Alan Sills had the conference call today with the commissioner. Roger Goodell insists that the NFL can safely and responsibly complete the season. I, 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 yeah, can, will is the other issue. And I think for as long as you are sending players and coaches out into the community every day, and as long as the numbers continue to go up and up and up in the community, that's where you run the risk of not just one or two guys testing positive inevitably, but five or six or seven all at once. And then anyone they're in contact with being knocked out on the COVID-19 reserve list. And you're going to have more situations like we saw with the Denver Broncos where rosters are decimated. But I guess the NFL looks at it and says, hey, there's 53 guys on the active roster, 16 on the practice squad that could be called up at any time up to 90 minutes before kickoff should be more than enough. And I don't know what the critical mass is. I don't know how many guys have to be out before a team just can't play, but some would say, hey, as long as you got 11, 
you're good to go, right? In basketball, if if they've only got five guys and one foul's out, they play with four. So not that the NFL would ever come to 10 guys on the field, but I just sense that they are not going to worry about that. They expect guys to be ready to play if they're not on the COVID-19 reserve list. They expect teams to be ready to play, and they're going to play these games. Yeah, Mike, I was on the call, and that was my big takeaway from it. And Roger Goodell said that, you know, we're going to make these medical decisions over competitive reasons, over business interest, and this is what we're going to do, and we're going to roll. And Alan Seals said, look, when a player tests positive, we don't consider him a player. We don't consider what position he plays. At that point, he's a patient. And they go into the high risk. They don't care what the position are. If you look at what colleges are doing, you know, they have these certain numbers that you were talking about that if they don't have a quarterback, if they don't have X number of offensive linemen, if they don't have X number of defensive linemen, I think those are the three positions. And they say we're not going to play. And, and if we don't have X number of total players, we're not going to play. And Roger Goodell said, look, we changed all the rules. The rosters are, are the practice squads are bigger. You can call those guys up. We did this for a reason. We don't care that you don't have a position group. Go play the game. We don't care what positions they are. We're going to get these games in, and you're going to have to play if you have enough players to put on the field. And we've seen that. We've seen that repeatedly with several teams. We've seen it with the 49ers we, earlier this year against the Packers. We've seen it with the Broncos with no quarterbacks. And we're seeing it today with the Ravens with what they're throwing out on the field. So that's exactly it, Mike. They're going to play the games. It doesn't matter. We don't know what that total number is. Maybe there's a total number, but goodness sakes. I mean, the Ravens still have 16 players on the COVID list and they're playing this game. So I'm not sure how high the number goes. And for anyone out there who, for some reason, is only watching us and not monitoring the game, they are now at halftime. The Steelers lead 12-7. to The Ravens threw the ball into the end zone. Luke Wilson dropped what could have been a touchdown pass as time expired in the first half. So 12-7, no risk it, no biscuit. They risked that they got no biscuit at the end of the half. 12-7, the Steelers lead. The postseason bubble concept has been kicked around from time to time. And as I understand it, because we were doing football pod in America, so I missed the start of the conference call and I didn't want to jump on late and make that beep beep sound and and distract everybody. Uh, The the commissioner initially said all options are on the table for the postseason, but then said, Shireen, that there won't be a postseason bubble. And here's my theory. There won't be a mandatory postseason bubble because you won't need a mandatory postseason bubble because the teams that are still alive in the postseason will do a voluntary bubble and the team leaders, the players, the quarterbacks, the defensive leaders will all put the squeeze on the other players to volunteer to stay in a hotel for the balance of the season. This all gets back to collective bargaining. That is at the core of this. The league doesn't want to have to go to the union and ask for permission to make mandatory hotel stays because the union will say, wait a minute, you're asking for a lot here. You're asking to take guys away from their families for extended periods of time. Even if it's a postseason, you're knocking out guys for the two Super Bowl teams for a month from their family life. So the union would want something, justifiably so. It's part of the collective bargaining arrangement. The league doesn't want to give anything up. And some would say, Maybe they should. The league doesn't want to. So they're taking a risk here that some players will choose not to voluntarily bubble, and that could potentially screw things up. But the attitude will be the same that it was all year long. Hey, if you're positive, you're down. Someone else is up. Go play the games. 
Mike, they really talked in circles on this issue. You know, at the beginning, you know, Goodell did say all things are on the table. And then he said, we're not going. He said, it depends on what kind of bubble you're talking about. And what he said they're not definitely going to do is going to have a bubble like baseball did where they put all teams at one site. And that makes perfect sense. I mean, you're not going to have that many teams at one site in the NFL. I I get that. But I don't think they have definitely ruled out having bubbles in individual cities, local bubbles. And as you said, even if this isn't something that they do league-wide, we're going to see teams do it. We saw the Cowboys were among the teams, the Saints – Uh, in the training camp do this and they had sort of the voluntary bubbles where the team leader said hey this is what we're going to do we're going to go stay in a hotel and we're going to come out and we're just going to be on the field for training camp and that's it we're not going home and I definitely think you're going to see that in the postseason I think one question that hasn't been asked yet Mike what if we have a situation like the Ravens in the postseason like how far are we going to kick the can down with the with a game where you're delaying the next week's set of games. That will be curious to me. But if you have these local bubbles, I think that you have less of a chance to do that. Less of a chance to have the big COVID outbreak where you are having to push a game back for almost a week, frankly. They're supposed to play Thanksgiving night. Yeah, six days of a delay for this game, and that would wreak havoc on the postseason schedule. It would delay everyone, and the prospect of a Week 18 already creates the possibility that the one seeds in the two conferences will go three weeks between playing games. And uh, the 49ers right now have a situation that could become a test case for a localized bubble. They're in Arizona. They're going to stay in Arizona. And there are coaches out there who are envious of what the 49ers have fallen into because I know from talking to some coaches, they would much rather be away from home in a hotel, locked down, because then they don't have to worry about guys getting exposed to the virus away from the team. And that's exactly what the 49ers will be doing, everyone together for the foreseeable future. Although I guess there's a possibility guys can bring their families down, get an Airbnb and go back and forth as if they're temporarily living in Arizona. I don't know how many guys are going to do that. I doubt the whole team would do that. So uh, something to keep an eye on over the next few weeks. And if it works for the 49ers, maybe that becomes more enticing for other teams in the postseason. Let's take a break. When we return, more headlines from around the National Football League on this Wednesday edition of PFTPM. We'll be right back. I want to ask you this. When you were in training camp and y'all drafted Patrick Mahomes, what was your thought after you watched him that first week in training camp? I thought it was trash. I ain't gonna cap. <laughs> I ain't gonna cap. I ain't even gonna cap, man. When he first got there, I was like, "Then who y'all drafted right here? Then who y'all drafted? Hey, y'all. Hey, but look, oh. I ain't, he proved me into a whole complete. I don't know. Like he, it just that second year. Like his quarterback mechanics were different. It was like he was spending more time with his quarterback coach, spending more time with Coach Reed, like learning the offense. It was like, dude, it's like different. <laughs> Tyree Kill's house is Chris Sims, the son of Phil Sims, would say you can't hide money. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's that's pretty nice. That's a pretty nice house that Tyreek's living in, assuming that is his house. And, and we the got picture the house of Tyree Kill on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. You saw the house in the background, too. 
Doing, doing a little work, keeping things tidy for Tyreek Hill. Again, can't hide money uh, multiple times over. I thought he was trash, the money quote from Tyreek Hill on Patrick Mahomes. That contradicts what Travis Kelsey told us in 2017. He was on PFT Live, and he was talking about the things that Patrick Mahomes does in practice, unbelievable things he's doing in practice, to the point where when they struggled that year, I was banging the drum. Put Patrick Mahomes in. Let's go. They could have gone to the Super Bowl potentially in 2017 if Mahomes had hit the ground the way that he hit the ground in 2018. I still believe that three years after the fact that they could have been a team that could have competed for a Super Bowl berth. Can you imagine if they would have put Patrick Mahomes in games that year in the middle of the season and let him do what he eventually did in 2018? So I disagree with what Tyreek Hill said. I think he was just trying to be funny a little bit because by October, Travis Kelsey was a believer in Patrick Mahomes, Shireen. The only way I'm buying that, Mike, is if he's talking about like OTAs, like April, May, when he's Patrick Mahomes is first getting in there. Maybe he did look like garbage initially. I mean, all rookies do, right? Maybe he was throwing interceptions early, doing dumb stuff when he didn't know the offense. But I, I guarantee you by September, October, November, somewhere in there, we were hearing how good this kid looked at practice. And when you see what he did in week uh, the last week of the season, week 17, when he started that game, I'm with you. I'm convinced they had a really good chance to win the Super Bowl if they had put him in late that season and let him play in the postseason. So, yeah, I'm not sure what Tyreek Hill is talking about there. He's either being funny, wanting to make headlines, or maybe he was talking about initially when Pat- Patrick Mahomes got in there. And he should have been more clear about it because he eventually created the impression that it wasn't until the second year that he was impressed by Patrick Mahomes. And again, there would be people in the organization that dispute that because he was practicing at a high level and people were amazed. I was amazed by what he did against the Titans in the preseason in 2017. So uh, we, we all were robbed of another half season or so of what could have been some spectacular Patrick Mahomes play, contrary to the opinions of Tyree Kill. We've seen what Tua Tonga-Vailoa can do. He was benched for performance. Then he injured a thumb last week, banging it on a helmet. He was limited at practice today. He's got to get used to playing with a wrap. His status for this weekend, undecided. Ryan Fitzpatrick got it done this past weekend against the Jets. Then again, who doesn't? But, you know, at some point, Tua, I assume, will be back. Although Brian Flores quite possibly is milking this uncertainty for all it's worth. Week in and week out, forcing teams to prepare for both guys. Not knowing which guy they're going to see and when they're going to see him. Because last week... We, we were led to believe that Tua was going to be fine because Flores said so. Not bothered, not troubled, not worried by the injury. And then by Friday afternoon, it was, well, we got to go look at the film and decide whether or not he can play. It's like, what are you talking about? Then they downgrade him to doubtful, and then he doesn't play. So I got no problem with teams taking full advantage of the strategic realities of the injury report, and I have a feeling that the Dolphins are going to keep doing that, Shereen. You know, Mike, you have your conspiracy theories and I have my conspiracy theories. And this is one of my conspiracy theories. I I think that the Dolphins are in sort of a bind here. Do you want to go to the playoffs? Is that your goal this year? Or is your goal to get Tua ready for next season? And if you want to go to the playoffs and you want to succeed in the playoffs, I'll be honest, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick right now is your best hope of doing that. If you want to prepare for next season and get ready for that, then Tua is your best option. But this gives this gives Brian Flores a great out. I mean, they're going against the Chiefs. Let's let's be honest, Ryan Fitzpatrick's probably the better option here against the Chiefs and Tua. Not that they're going to win this game anyway, 
But do you want to send Tua out there, probably going to lose, maybe going to get killed? We know what happened in the last game that he played. He was not good with those six sacks and eventually got replaced by Ryan Fitzpatrick. This gives Brian Flores and this organization an out if they want to play Ryan Fitzpatrick in this game against the Chiefs and maybe have a better chance to win and maybe not subject to a to some confidence issues that would come with playing the Chiefs. The elongated Week 12 schedule has skewed all of our perspectives on the season schedule. It's actually the Bengals up next for the Miami Dolphins. But I, like you, thought it was the Chiefs. And then I thought, wait a minute, the Chiefs are playing Sunday Night Football, so I had to check real quick. But regardless, your point is well taken. And Shireen... That's all right. That's all right. I try. I tried to cushion it as best I could, uh, but here's the reality: <laughs> Brian Flores can play the 100% game. I remember when the Vikings in 1998, Randy Moss's rookie year, Brad Johnson breaks his leg week two against the Rams. There goes the season. Randall Cunningham comes in, and he's better than he's ever been his entire career. Brad Johnson is healed ostensibly. And Dennis Green says he'll play when he's 100%. He just was never 100% again. And Tua, at some point, it won't surprise me if Brian Flores says he'll play when he's 100%. That may be the game they're playing because then you never benched Tua. That's the thing. Once you throw him out there and once you start yanking him off the field, that's when you get yourself into a potential problem because you don't want the guy's confidence to be shaky. You don't want his teammates to start looking at him differently. So he's injured unless he's Injured. Another guy who is injured, second-year Giants quarterback Daniel Jones with a hamstring. No practice today. Shereen, can the Giants win the division if they have to go several weeks with Colt McCoy at quarterback? Is there that big of a difference between the two? I mean, they've won three in a row, and I think Daniel Jones is playing better, but I don't know if there's a big difference, Mike, between Daniel Jones and Colt McCoy. I really don't. And that schedule, when you look at it, 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 it's pretty tough now until the Dallas game, which they obviously have a good chance of winning that game, but I don't see a whole lot of wins in there. Not that it's going to take a ton of of wins to win the NFC East. If I'm going to name a favorite today, I'm looking at Washington probably as the favorite because you and I said last week we started ranking those quarterbacks who's the best quarterback in that division right now and I think it's Alex Smith and that's the only reason I say and based on the schedule I think Washington's going to win the division but I don't see a whole lot of difference do you between Colt McCoy and Daniel Jones I really don't, and uh, I don't know that that's a compliment for Colt McCoy. Daniel Jones has been good enough, and they have found a way to win some games, but I, I agree with you. I think Washington will win the division, and I said weeks ago if they just made Alex Smith the quarterback, they would be the team in best position to win the division. I kind of got away from that, and then yeah. he becomes the quarterback, and I forgot about it. I'm, re- I'm reestablishing that position. They stick with Alex Smith the Washington football team has the best chance to win the division. The Bears at one point looked like they had a chance to win the division. They've lost five in a row. Mitchell Trubisky starting again for Nick Foles. And whether it's Foles is injured or injured, it doesn't matter. Foles is out. Trubisky is in. They got a chance to beat the Lions this week in that same game. Matthew Stafford expected to play for the Lions. He was limited today, though, with a right thumb injury. Daryl Bevel, the interim head coach, now that Matt Patricia has been fired. And for the Colts, no practice today for quarterback Phillip Rivers, who didn't practice last Wednesday either because of a toe injury. He said it's definitely a week better as opposed to Wednesday of last week. He ultimately did 
play on Sunday in a loss to the Tennessee Titans. That's the quarterback injury news coming out of the Wednesday press conferences and practice reports. We're going to take a break. When we return, we pop open the mailbag. Only three questions that we selected. They're all very good questions, and we're going to try to answer each of them when PFTPM continues right after this. taking some pretty good shots, but like I said, my, my, my process of getting my body ready has put me in position to stay fresh. Is there any concern? Calvin, do you, do you think there's... that you're nah, getting that nah, you nah, could wear down or nah, anything? Nah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> what is that? What is that? Wear down. What is that? What that mean? I'm asking you. What that means, I mean, you're lying for over 300 carries. I mean, you're obviously a very tough guy. But, I'm a running back. Uh, I'm a running back like just like anybody team. else. I don't think it's a question you'll ask Derek Henry or anybody else. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a running back. I know wearing down. And I, I'm, I'm ready to tote the ball. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's football. Hey, I love Dalvin Cook, and I understand why he said what he said. You can't allow any thoughts like that to creep into your brain. You don't want that negativity because you have to have the mindset every game, every play, every drive, every rep that you're going to go out there and do everything you can to gain every possible yard. If you start entertaining those concerns that you're worn down or you may get injured, that's when you end up not being as effective as you can be. But... We know he's got an injury history. And the reason he was asked the question, Shireen, offensive coordinator Gary Kubiak said he's banged up. And he is banged up. He was pulled out of the game for a while this past weekend with the ankle. He missed a game earlier this year and half of another one with a groin problem. He is susceptible to getting injured. And he's never played a full season in his time in the NFL. It's a fair question. I can understand why I responded the way he did because it's get that out of here. I don't want to hear that. Get that away from me because I have to focus on what I need to do. And if I start talking about getting worn down and getting injured, it uh, it's going to screw me up. So I understand it. And he was limited today, Mike, with that ankle injury. He's missed 20 games in four seasons, as you've said. Derrick Henry has been remarkably healthy. He's missed two games in five seasons in his career. And I would argue that Derrick Henry was asked the question. You look at Ryan Tannehill and what he said about Derrick Henry and his use. We're trying to save him. We don't want to wear him down. So he, he they were asked that question in Tennessee about Derrick Henry. But Dalvin Cook's on pace for a record for touches in a season. He had 303 last season, which is his most. So he does need to hold up. They do need to possibly limit his use when they can, but they are in a playoff race. They're trying to get back in it, and they need Dalvin Cook because he is the starter on that offense. Bill Campbell has a question. Do you see RG3 getting any offers to start next season? Let me take the first crack at this. No. Shereen, your thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a simple answer. I just don't see it happening, Mike. I mean, he has been a starter in this league. I think he's a valuable backup. I think he fits in Baltimore. I think he's going to re-sign in Baltimore, especially for, for what they pay him. They paid him, what, $2 million, I think, uh, this year. He does become a free agent. But I think he'll re-sign in Baltimore and end up, end up back there as the backup. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't think he's going to be a starter for a variety of reasons. He's a shell of the guy that he was back in 2012, and he gets injured too often. You can't trust him to be your guy week in and week out because he will get injured. He was hobbling around in the first half of the game against the Steelers. Jonathan Wolf won. If the Bears fire Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, who should they hire? I want to take this one because I want to make it clear. We're not in the business of saying who teams should hire. We don't know who they should hire. That's for the owners and the team presidents of those teams to decide. We don't vet the candidates. We don't know. And I don't want to get caught up in this media feeding frenzy because one person is saying you should hire this person. Then we're going to say you should. We don't know. That's not what we do. We're not a search firm. Shereen, I don't know. You may feel differently than I do, but I don't want to start promoting candidates. I don't want to start saying who teams should hire. They have to decide for themselves. I will say this though at some point in Chicago you got to go one level higher and you got to ask yourself whether or not Ted Phillips needs to go it's amazing to me the best job in any NFL organization is team president number one it pays well number two you don't get fired no matter how bad the team is it's an awesome job to have yeah no question Mike and and that is a question about whether they should go higher than that it's up to them who they hire if they do fire them. We're just here to judge once they get there on how they do. And it is a, it's a results-oriented business. How you end up on the scoreboard week in and week out, how much you make the playoffs, that determines. But I would like to see all of these teams. Let's don't go out and hire some retreads. Let's, let's go out and give some guys some chances who've never gotten those chances, like an Eric Van. I mean, there's a tons of guys out there you can give chances to, whether it's as a head coach or a general manager who I think will do great jobs for wherever they end up if they get those chances. I just see it every year, and it's taken me 20 years to get to the point where I realize there's a lot of agendas, there's a lot of gamesmanship, there's a lot of reporters, frankly, who try to bet on the right horse in order to enhance their access. And also, you know, what someone in the league is telling you They may be telling you that just like before the draft. Everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's got a reason for spreading something. And too many owners listen to what we say. Don't listen to us. Hire people you trust to tell you who you should hire to run your teams and then trust them to do it. We're not going to be in the business. I'm not going to be in the business of trying to tell these owners what to do. They got the money to hire somebody to tell them what to do. Yeah, absolutely, Mike, and that's why they hire these search firms and have people within the organization who tell them who to go hire, and the Bears will do that after the season if they decide to go elsewhere. All right, Shereen and I say goodbye, but the show does not say goodbye. Football Pod in America with Liam McHugh, Rodney Harrison, Tony Dungy, and me when PFTPM continues right after this. And welcome to Football Pod in America. Tony Dungy is here. So is Rodney Harrison, Mike Florio. I'm Liam McHugh coming at you from my attic as I continue isolation and follow the <laughs> protocol. Don't worry, worry, Rodney. I'm fine. Thanks for asking. Thanks for Doing okay. I'm lonely. I miss you guys, and I can't wait to get back on the show. But you guys, you guys are all doing well. Tony, great job in Green Bay. Well, thank you, Liam. I missed you guys, too. It was great doing a game and great being in all that history, but I missed my guys in the studio. Hey, Liam, oh, Liam, you- Liam, Liam, Liam. The first time I'm in studio, on a Sunday, I come up, <laughs> I'm scared to death initially to fly. I get on a plane, I'm comfortable, and then I'm, I'm excited to see my guys, and then I don't see you, Liam. I was so disappointed, my man. I know. I'm, I'm Liam, running out l- of Liam, excuses. Liam, Liam yeah. all I have to add is this. 
I'm glad it's your attic and not where you ordinarily live, because it looks like you're about to be interrogated under suspicion of some sort of capital crime, right? Like the cops are about to walk yeah. in and really, really yeah. put it to you. That's that's what it where looks like. Where were you on the night of the 18th? Yeah, it, it, it has that feel right now. It definitely does. Rodney, I, I, I'm, I'm out of excuses for dodging you at this point. Uh, it's heavy. We will connect. This will happen before the end of the regular season, I promise. And listen, let's talk about that because we're slowly approaching it, right? The end of the regular season, just about a month away, if we stay to schedule. That's the plan right now. In the NFL, there is no bubble, but we have bubble teams, and we're going to talk about five of them today. We're going to decide whether these are teams that are going to be legitimate threats come playoff time, whether these are teams perhaps that just make the playoffs and then make no noise once they get in, or perhaps you think that these are teams that are just going to miss out altogether. Let's begin with the Raiders, because the last time I worked, it was just about two weeks ago, I was in Las Vegas. Jason Witten nearly but pulled the rabbit out of his head and <laughs> caught that touchdown pass. They were one minute, 43 seconds away from beating the chiefs. At that point, they would have gone to seven and three instead, Patrick Mahomes. He's a magician. They lose that game. They get crushed by Atlanta. So now they are six and five. Tony, what should we make of this team from Vegas? Well, I, I think they're just an inconsistent team. Like a lot of teams in the NFL right now, they haven't hit their stride. We see some great play. Uh, I was shocked that they could not run the ball on the Atlanta Falcons. That's the one thing they seem to hang their hat on. Josh Jacobs pounding that football week in and week out. And then they go, and I think they had six yards rushing in, in the first half. So uh, the inconsistency, I, I don't think defensively they're, they're good enough uh, to carry the team. Um, they're, they're just they're an up-and-down football team right now. And I'm looking at Henry Ruggs. He was supposed to come in and provide him with dynamic plays down the field, and he's been inconsistent. So when I look at this offense, I think it starts on the offensive side of the ball, especially up front. Mike Gloria? Well, look, I... I, I still don't know what the hell happened. I don't think the Raiders know what the hell happened. They walked into a buzzsaw, and I think what happened was, plain and simple, they couldn't recover from nearly beating the Chiefs a week before. And and so you get it in your head that we had them right where we wanted them, and we couldn't get it done, and, oh, it's just Atlanta, and we're going to go to Atlanta, and all we have to do is show up and win, and we're still upset about what happened against the Chiefs. And the next thing you know, they're in a meat grinder. because. And this is a point that Sims made. Raheem Morris knows the John Gruden offense. Raheem Morris was there running practices against the John Gruden offense, and he knew how to shut down the John Gruden offense, and Gruden didn't have an answer for it. So I, I don't know that, that it means they definitely don't get in. They've got three games they should win. They've got two games, who knows, down the stretch. they got the Jets this weekend to get to 7-5. and five. But mm -hmm. uh, it's just the kind of loss – that should disqualify them. There should be some provision in the rule book that if you get beaten that badly after Thanksgiving <laughs> by a losing team, you just get removed from. Cut it out, Florio. Cut it out, Florio. Because I don't care. We've all been we've all been part of great teams, and we've all had those type of disappointing losses. The, the key and most important thing here is how Carr comes back. His job is to take care of the football and be efficient, coach. And that that's something that we we hadn't we weren't really used to seeing him turn the ball over this year. Hey Rodney, I'll agree with you. Sometimes that sometimes that loss comes in the Super Bowl after you're 18 and 0. So I'll agree with you. Very Ooh. true. Very true. No, but here's the key. <laughs> I feel it in my side. Good job. <laughs> 
What kind of personality do you have? What is the character of that team? Uh, 2006, December, I'm in, with the Indianapolis Colts. We lost the game 41 to 17, gave up almost 400 yards rushing. Six weeks later, we're in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, the, the Raiders, that was a bad game. But what kind of team do they really have? Are they going to be able to bounce back and pull it together? That's what we've got to see. You keep in mind something from last year with the Raiders. This was a team that was 6-4 in, in late November. They had won three straight games. Then they finished up losing five of their final sixth. And they finished seven and nine. That's a tough dig there, Florio, on Rodney. Now I feel like I feel like I'm on Rodney's side now, and you're the bad guy. So the tables have turned here, and I'm excited about it. Let's hey, move Liam, on to the Liam, Cleveland. Don't worry, <laughs> Liam, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm being very humble right now, but when I see him, I'm gonna put my hands around his throat. <laughs> he, by the, he'll forget. He will be. It won't be till next September. He'll forget. I the hope. earliest. He, he'll be virtual from West Virginia now for years to come, simply because of what happened here today. <laughs> All right, we move on. Cleveland Browns, eight wins, eight and three, most wins since the Bill Belichick days. This is a Browns team, hasn't been to the playoffs since 2002, hasn't won a playoff game since resuming operations in 1999. You think about bad losses. I mean, they lost 16 to six to Vegas. They got crushed by Pittsburgh, crushed by Baltimore, but that was week one. So Rodney, you look at the Browns, great story. One of the good stories here in 2020, but how seriously should we take them? I think you have to respect him. I think, you know, when you watch Baker Mayfield, he seems like he's playing with a lot of confidence, to, you know, and they're going to have to ride those running backs right into the playoffs. They're going to get Miles Garrett back. He's going to be healthy, so that should provide the defense with a spark. But one guy that I'm looking at that they paid a ton of money to, Mike Florio and coach, is Austin Hooper. This guy they paid $10, $11 million a year for, and they're not even really utilizing him. He's a really good tight end. He can – you know, open up things, especially with the loss of OBJ. Jarvis Landry is playing extremely well, but get the ball a little bit more to Austin Hooper. I think he can help the offense. And I, I've been on the Cleveland Browns bandwagon. Rodney's been ribbing me about that. My son, Justin, loves him. He tells me every week, watch the Browns, watch the Browns. But you still have to go back to this. They've played four teams with winning records. And the only team, Liam, gave, gave us the three losses. They beat Indianapolis. So they've got to show us that they can do it against good teams. They look very good against the weaker teams. Baker Mayfield has been in control. The defense has been outstanding, but they haven't done it against the good teams. That's what we've got to see. It really is amazing to see how they've fattened up their record against teams they should beat. Other than the Colts, that was the one that was kind of questionable. Now it gets even more questionable this weekend with the Titans, followed up by the Ravens. We're going to learn a lot about the Browns, they could be eight and five after these next two games. If they go somehow to 10 and three, then they're for real. Because the thing is, when they get to the playoffs, there's not going to be any of these easier teams. They're all going to be very difficult teams. They have to show that they can win a game that they shouldn't win before more people will take them seriously. But you mentioned if they get to 10 wins, but you would think that they will get to 10 wins. I know that they have the Titans and they have the Ravens, and this, you're right. This feel like show-me games, right? Show me that you can beat a team that you're not supposed to beat. But then it's at the Giants and at the Jets, back-to-back -back weeks. Now they finish up with the Steelers, and that's a game that should matter for Pittsburgh, so it's a tough one. But it's Giants and Jets. The 10 wins are sitting there. You guys believe they're getting in? Oh, I think they're going to get in. But the, the question is, are you a playoff-worthy team? And what are you going to do it. when you get there? That's the question. 
And a big and yeah, another tenants, question is what I'm sorry, Mike Florio. I, I was gonna say the last go ahead, question Rodney. is Baker Mayfield. It's Baker Mayfield. We know they can run the football, we know they can make some plays on defense when they're healthy. But the bottom line is you look at Sunday, Baker Mayfield missed a lot of easy passes that he should have completed. So he's still kind of up and down trying to get that confidence and and play well consistently. Ten and six in 2007 did not get them in. This year, there's an extra playoff spot for the first yeah. time. So they get the seventh seed. And if they have to go to Kansas City or Pittsburgh That's in that wild card round, they're, they're just not they're not ready. They haven't shown us enough to get us to say they'd be ready to be competitive in a game like that. Yeah, I mean, really, that's the problem. If you are the last team in, you're in a bad spot in that AFC. You're in a bad spot in either way, but especially in the AFC. And that brings us to the Colts right now because they are 7-4. They are the final team right now as we speak in the AFC playoff picture, which if things continue to trend in the direction that they're trending right now would mean that they would open up on the road in the postseason in Kansas City against the Super Bowl champion Chiefs. So the Colts is the team that just lost big to Tennessee, but they've beaten Tennessee. They beat Green Bay. They give up a lot of points the last couple of weeks, Mike Florio. What's your read right now on the Colts? I think the loss on Sunday to the Titans is particularly troubling because, as Ryan Tannehill told me after the game, the Colts don't do a lot of exotic things on defense. They're just a physical team, and they got out physical. Now, they didn't have DeForest Buckner. He was on the COVID-19 reserve list, so they need him back. But their their formula is very simple. Go out and be physical and overpower your opponent. And they should be able to pick up some wins. We already talked Raiders. They play the Raiders in a couple of weeks. So maybe the winner of that game gets in and the loser doesn't. But they've got two games against the Texans who have played better. They have the Steelers still on the horizon. And then they finish the season with a chance at revenge against the Jaguars who gave them their first loss of the season. So they just have to get back to their physical style. They have to forget about this Titans game quickly because, uh, yeah, they're, they're dancing on the line of potential being on the outside looking in yeah and they got and again, first and foremost I think I go, go ahead coach I, I go back to, you know to my experience there too we we played some bad defensive games when we didn't have Bob Sanders and you say well one person shouldn't make that much difference DeForest Buckner makes a big difference in that defense they were missing a couple, a couple of other starters in the front seven but when they get him back I, I don't worry about their defense and they have shown the ability. They've beaten some good teams. Uh, to me, it all falls on Phillip Rivers. Is he going to play good football? Is he going to make those big throws? Is he going to not turn the ball over? They can, they can beat a Green Bay. They've showed us they can do that if he plays well. Coach, I agree with you totally. As far as their defense, I don't have too many concerns when they're healthy. They were missing three key starters on that defense offensively that's where I have some concern you mentioned Phillip Rivers I look at the wide receivers they don't have that number one guy T.Y. Hilton he does he's hurt all the time he doesn't practice so you know when you watch him play he's not the same player that we're used to seeing he can't create any separation their tight ends have been really good for him um Naheem Hines he's been their best player on offense but it's going to come down to Phillip Rivers. And I think his lack of mobility, and I've been saying this the last few weeks, I think his lack of mobility is going to really be a big question mark in the playoffs because it's going to get cold. The weather's going to start to change. And if you're not a mobile quarterback where you can buy some time, guys are going to get jammed at the line of scrimmage. Guys are going to come off the line of scrimmage a little slower because of the weather. I think it's going to significantly Im impact the Colts offense, Liam. Yeah, I mean, they're a fascinating team. Mike mentioned it. This is a team that started off the season with a 27-20 loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're 7-4. and four. You got to figure Frank Reich going to be in the mix. Strong consideration for coach of the year. You go back to the Browns and you compare them to the Colts. Antonio, I'll start with you. 
I mean, you'd rather play the Browns, I would assume, first round of the playoffs than the Colts. The Colts just seem like a dangerous team because there is potential on defense. Well, well, both of those teams have good defense, and they've got difference makers on defense. The Cleveland Browns have a great running attack. And, you know, if you cannot stop the run, you don't want to see them in a cold-weather game late in the year. Um, So it it just – I don't know. You almost have to pick your poison – Colts have some weaponry on offense. Uh, I, I think the Colts are a better, more well-rounded team, but I wouldn't want to play the Browns in a cold-weather game in, in January. Yeah, Coach, it just comes down to matchups, and that's what it comes down to. Which team do you match up better with? You know, yeah, obviously Phillip Rivers and his experience and things like that, but I just went through some of their weaknesses on offense. It would be good to get mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor back because the last couple of weeks he's provided them with some solid running. One of the things I learned from Rodney a long time ago, and I have heard, heard, learned plenty from sitting next to Rodney on Sundays, even when he isn't trying to beat me up, but uh, <laughs> it all changes in the playoffs. Everything gets more intense. Everything uh, is faster. Everything is higher stakes, and it helps to have guys in the locker room who have experience so they can make sure that the players who don't have the experience understand what's coming. The Colts have the experience. Yep. That would be a reason that I'd be leery about the Colts. They got DeForest Buckner, who was in the Super Bowl last year. Phillip Rivers has been in the postseason. They got guys who've been on that team for years that have been in the postseason from time to time. The Browns, other than Jarvis Landry, right? Now, you know, they got some guy like like an Andrew Sandejo who was with Kevin Stefanski in Minnesota, and he's been there and done that. But You've got more guys in Indy who have that playoff experience. So that's another reason I would not want to play the Colts. Move over to the NFC and you talk about a team that from the quarterback and the coaching standpoint certainly lacks that playoff experience. It's the Cardinals now six and five. One of the most entertaining teams in the league, certainly one of the most dramatic teams in the league, but also one of the most perplexing teams in the league. Back to back losses. They're coming off of Seattle, New England lose to both those teams. They have those early back to back losses against Detroit and Carolina. Six and five. Right now, the last team in that NFC playoff picture. Tony, I'll start with you. I mean, they're a tough team to get a real good read on. What do you think the plain and simple truth is about this team right now? Well, they're a dangerous team, but you look at, as you say, who they've lost to. Okay, losing to New England, losing to Carolina, losing to Detroit. That, that shows you that this is not a team that's there. Uh, they can play. They can get that Hail Mary, that big play to win a game. They can play great, and Kyler Murray can be outstanding, but they can come back and play a stinker game against a bad team. So uh, I think there's still a little bit of a roller coaster. Dangerous team, but not consistent enough to really be a threat in the playoffs, I don't think. But, but also, Coach, uh, it, it seems like offensively, Kyler Murray has to be able to run and, and have success running the ball in order for the offense to have success. The last couple of weeks, Seattle and the Patriots did a great job of, of sort of corralling him. And, you know, he's got to, you know, he's got to deal with some issues, too, because, you know, he's kind of up and down in his personality. You see him walk off to the sideline and have, you know, some riffs with his teammates. They just need to continue to try to just play football, get some shots down the field, be a lot more efficient on third down. And I think they'll have a chance. But defensively, I'm still concerned. I think Isaiah Simmons, they're doing a good job with him, trying to figure out where they want to put him. They put him at defensive end. They put him at linebacker. He was playing some strong safety when he hit Cam Newton. Um, inbounds. So I, I like Arizona, but I think Kyler Murray, he just carries so much pressure and he has, he has to release some of that pressure. It can't be all on him. I can't help but wonder 
whether the Hail Mary play to beat the Bills stuck with this team more than it should in a bad way. Because at the end of the day, they didn't win any trophies for winning that game. But there was an exuberance. There was a euphoria from that team that that maybe made them forget, you know, hey, we got a quick week here and we got to play the Seahawks. And then we got the Patriots after that. And it feels like the Seahawks cracked the code on how to shut down Kyler Murray as a runner. Oh, he got injured along the way with the shoulder problem. And then the Patriots, after not being able to contain Deshaun Watson, were able to contain Kyler Murray. And yeah, they're now in danger of not making it. And and they have a game against the 49ers still to come. Mm-hmm. And the 49ers coming up on the outside. I, I am concerned that the Cardinals are going to end up losing that seventh spot to a team like the 49ers in Minnesota because, yeah, they don't have that experience being in a spot like this. And they feel like the walls are closing in. And uh, that magic... That magic was all used up in the Hail Mary play against the Bills, and I just feel like they're having a hard time getting it back. But also, Florida, when you're a good team and you win games like that, you better expect other teams to come ready to play, and I I think that's what you see. You know, people respect the Arizona Cardinals. Before, they were one of those teams where you just mark off, yep, this is a win, this is a win, and now you have to deal with Kyler Murray. Now you have to deal with some of the different personalities on that defense and on that offense. So these guys are going to be competitive. They're not just going to walk away and lay down, but it's going to come down to Kyler Murray and how he – kind of handles himself in these pressure moments, Liam. Yeah, and Rodney, all the teams they're facing down the stretch here, they're all going to come ready to play. Um, Six and five right now, this team. They have the Rams. They're at the Giants, who are trying to get in the NFC East. The Eagles, who as bad as they look, are still right in the mix to win the NFC East. And then the 49ers. And then at the Rams is the way they finish that up. It's the way we'll finish things up here because the Rams are seven and four. They're second in that NFC West. Got a couple good wins. They beat the Seahawks. They beat the Bucks. I don't know if you can call any of their losses terrible, right? At Buffalo, at the 49ers, at Miami, this past weekend to the 49ers. When you look at this team right now, it comes down to trust. And I know that they can play defense, but can you trust this Rams team as a whole? To go far in the playoffs, I don't, because right now I don't trust Jared Goff. I think Jared Goff and Sean McVay, and Sean said it on his post-game conference. He was very frustrated with Jared Goff and, and just turning the ball over. If they can just focus on running the football, the play-action pass, the boots, and things like that, and get rid of those, um, those turnovers, they'll have a chance. But anytime adversity hits, it seems like Jared Goff, he gets nervous, and he falls back into being turnover-prone. So, no, I don't trust him at this point in time, Coach. Well, Rodney, what you don't trust is their quarterback. Jared Goff comes out at Tampa, and you say, my goodness, this, he destroyed the Buccaneers. And you say, hey, this might be the best team in football. They've got a great defense. They can run the ball. They've got all this weaponry. And if Goff plays like that, they're going to be lights out. And then the next two weeks, he's turning the ball over and not hitting open receivers. And it's almost like Sean McVay has to hide him and, and play around him. So which quarterback is going to show up if, if the – Jared Goff at Tampa shows up. They can beat anybody. There was a very interesting moment earlier this week when Sean McVay did a press conference after game day, and he was asked 
whether he considered benching Goff in any of the two losses that they've had recently, either in Miami or on Sunday against the 49ers. And, you know, Coach Peyton Manning, I'm sure at some point had a rough game. If somebody would have asked you, did you consider benching Peyton Manning, you would have started laughing just like you did now. No, you're not benching Peyton Manning. Yeah. And, 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 and Sean McVay launches into this three-minute answer explaining in detail why. And it's like, wait a minute. If this guy's your franchise quarterback, there's no there's no answer longer than he's a franchise quarterback. So that really made me think Sean McVay's wondering what's up with Jared Goff. Uh, did call him out, as Rodney said, after the game for having too many turnovers. And I go to their running game. Sean McVay wants to do the Kyle Shanahan thing with all these different guys who run the football, and it's not working. They need to pick a guy. That's what the Rams have always been. They have a guy. Develop a guy and have a backup to that guy and a backup to that guy. But this revolving door thing just isn't working. They never develop an identity on offense. And if your identity is Jared Goff, it's not going to carry you to where you want to go. And, Mike, I think the key points you made right there, not even Sean McVay's answer, but the fact that he got the question. If you're a Super Bowl caliber team, are you ever getting the question, am I benching my quarterback? You know, no, you're not. And the answer should be the shortest answer in history, right? It yeah, should just that, be, that's a you should almost question. just be given the, <laughs> you should be given the reporter a look like, why would you ask me that? There's no way, but it, listen, it's a matter of trust. And right now I don't think Jared Goff has that trust. We are in the first week in December guys. Final day of the NFL season is January the third. We're going to see how many of these teams get in, what they can do in the playoffs. But guys, as we finish up, it is Wednesday that we are recording this podcast. It's a football Wednesday, which means there are traditions. It means you start with football, guys, <laughs> and then you know what comes after football, right? It's the tree light. <laughs> Tradition. Liam, I have an important question. Is that a ceramic tree? Oh, yeah. You know it. My mother used to make those. She had an assembly line in the basement. She may, you may need to turn that upside down and see if her initials are on it. Because I'm telling you, she made hundreds of those things. So anyway, Come it's a nice memory. Do it, Liam. No, I'm serious. She did. Now, you, I, right. doubt, I, doubt that, I doubt that one of her ceramic trees made its way to, to New York State or wherever it is you grew up. I, where did you grow up? I, I knew that at I, some I, point. Was it in I New grew York? up in New York. New York. Okay. Yeah, I doubt, right I doubt, I doubt so. that her, I doubt that her, her, uh, delivery radius went quite that far, but yeah, that's a nice memory. Cause I'm telling you, I know that tree and those trees were everywhere when I was growing up. Check it, she, Liam. she literally made hundreds of them. We got it. I got to look. All right. What are the initials? He's going to break it. It's MF. I am going to break it. We've had this thing in my family for like, he's going to break it. He's going to break it. There it goes. What do we got? I don't see initials. I don't see initials. I get nothing here. There it. are pieces. Mike, there are you pieces just want the profit. That's all. You just want the right profit, now. Mike. <laughs> uh, look, and now it's tilted and there are things falling off. <laughs> there you go. Man, 2020, guys. It continues. Traditions. All right. Traditions. Guys, thanks so much for doing this. And if anyone is still watching, thank you very much for watching. Appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. And I'll see you, I'll see you guys from Sunday. I'll be watching right from here. Thank <laughs> you.